Well, good evening. We're thankful that you're here this evening for the crowd that's assembled together and for our moments of uh, fellowship as well as of study. We're thankful for your attendance tonight, especially any visitors that might be in our audience tonight. We're thankful that we have had several who are back with us that weren't with us this morning. Uh, it's always good to... Uh, see those who have been sick be back with us. We're thankful Cliff and Suzanne are able to be with us again as they were a few weeks ago. And it's always good to see them when they're able to be, be with us. And we're just thankful that you're here and hope that our time tonight is beneficial as you begin to think about your week. <clears throat> Pardon me. I think this lesson will be hopefully of good use to you. A lot of times in trying to consider, of course, any lesson, we hope it's useful. But particularly sometimes on Sunday night, uh, it's something that sort of hopefully is the last thing for you. As you think about going home and going to bed, and for many of you going to your work week or whatever it is that you face in the next few days before we come back together, maybe something that you can apply to your life that can really help you to be stronger each and every day. The one study that we've been going through once a month over different words uh, hopefully applies to that as we have certainly been in the last few months of this. Uh, to give you a brief recap, we began the first few months talking about some big picture words uh, we talk about creation, maybe we, even when we talk about wrath, that may not have to do so much with us. We think about those things are not only just big picture words, but we might even call them big words in connection with God and attributes that he might have had. But then we've moved over in the last few months to a section of this study that's called Christian character. As you look through that list and as we're going to talk about tonight, you really see what we read about the fruit of the spirit and certainly things that we should practice in our life. And so this is where we've been so far, and we're going to continue on through it and tonight pick up with what is considered uh, week 10. Uh, as you, This is meant to be a weekly study, but as we've tried to spread it over once a month, it is month 10 for us. And we're going to take a look at what the Bible has to say about self-control. No doubt the Holy Spirit, by inspiration or through inspiration to both the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, writers through his spokesman, <clears throat> leave no doubt concerning the importance of self-control. Self-control in the life of human beings. Now what I'd like for us to do tonight as we begin, oftentimes, and we're going to touch on the, the words that are used in the original language, the, the Hebrew or the Greek, but sometimes it is beneficial to us as we consider the way we use words today and even what Webster or Merriam-Webster has to say about it. When we think about the word self-control, the Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Dictionary says that the English word for self-control is described this way. Restraint exercised over one's own impulses, emotions, <clears throat> or desires. People who practice self-control, we might say, are people who don't need necessarily a parent or a teacher or an armed guard, or a sheriff, or any other government official standing over them, if you will, making sure that they're doing the right thing. They have self-control. They behave correctly in situations because they are disciplined enough, and they have disciplined themselves enough to be of true or true to the moral and spiritual values that they have in their life, that they have chosen to follow. <clears throat> This morning in our class, in Oak Classroom 1, we talked a little bit about delayed gratification. That is sort of the idea behind self-control, especially when not only when it comes to Christians, but even in our life. Oftentimes we delay what we would like to do, or maybe how we would react to a situation. We show self-control, and that gratification may come later. Or even just then we offer respect to one another, rather than wrath or anger. 
So this puts us on the right track. Uh, again, it doesn't hurt sometimes to think about the way that words are used in our English language today. It doesn't necessarily always get us to the point of what the Bible is trying to say, but it's not a bad place to start. Restraint. Sometimes hard, especially over ourselves, but restraint that we have to have in our life. Now tonight, as we move over and think for just a moment about what the Bible has to say in use of this word, you will find this word used in the Old Testament in the King James zero times. Now, I don't know if that's a surprise to you or not, but in the Old Testament, in the King James in particular, the word for self-control is used zero times. But we go over to the New Testament, and in the King James, the word for self-control is used zero times. The word for self-control is not actually used in the King James Version at all. Now, there's good reason behind that. The word self-control, or the way that we use that word, was really believed to have first appeared on the scene in the year 1711. All right, So the word wasn't even around necessarily then when the King James was being written. It was about a century later than the King James Version that, uh, that this word or this idea of being used in that form, self-control, came forth. Now, don't get me wrong, I, I thought that was an interesting way to say it, but there's no doubt that the Old Testament speaks of this idea of self-control. In fact, if you've got your bulletin there and you're making notes, to be fair, you might jot out to the side. In the New King James, the word is used seven times. And in the English Standard Version, it's actually used 11 times. So as language has moved, and again, that's a little bit of a deeper study than we have time for tonight, but as language has changed and moved, it has been added into newer versions of the Bible or translations of the Bible. But in the King James, you will not find the word self-control. I think it's important, though, that as we think about this, that we go forward and think about what the King James does use. A few of the words are temperance, sober, and then at the same time, discreet. Another word that is used here in the study that I have in the notes in front of me is sober-minded. So I just put sober on the screen there and in your outline. But sober or sober-minded, temperance, or to be discreet. All of these are used and it conveys the idea of people, of a person exercising sovereignty over themselves. I like the word from Webster, restraint, that we are able to restrain ourselves to some degree. Now, you may also find in your notes there, I found this interesting, that in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 19, we see one of these Greek words used. One of the Greek words is used in 1 Timothy chapter 2 in verse number 9. And if you recall, and I've already given you the answer on the screen there, but in this section, Paul writing to Timothy says, In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation. Now, I'm using the New King James, but moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. You may see if you've got the King James version there, this idea of sober or soberly or sobriety. This is the word. This is why the King James does not use self-control there. But it was interesting to me to think about this. We, we did a lesson. We had a lesson fairly recently over this year on the idea of modesty. And I didn't think about taking this angle at it. I had not had this study done yet for myself. But what about in our modesty, especially in regards to our clothing, 
it deals with self-control. We don't always put it that way. The world certainly doesn't put it that way. Well, it doesn't have anything to do with self-control. It's just what's on the shelf or on the rack. It's what I have to buy. It's what everybody else is doing. But can we practice self-control? And again, as always with modesty, the biblical point here in 1 Timothy 2 is too much as opposed to too little. Now, yes, it seems that in our world today, too little is often the problem more than too much, but with sobriety or with self-control. Not to preach the lesson on modesty, but I thought it was interesting as we consider there in regards to this word that, or in regards to modesty, that we could and should practice sobriety or do it soberly with self-control. If you wanted to uh, say that there was a self-control book you might call it Proverbs. You might say that Proverbs is a book of self-control. I'm going to throw a bunch of passages up here and, and kind of quote them or read them very quickly. You might jot them down. Proverbs 15, 18, a hot-tempered man, the opposite, of course, we would think, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 32 Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Proverbs chapter 17 and verse number 27. He who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. I don't think that's cool as we use the word in 2019, but a cool or a calm or is slow to anger as has been said already. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 11. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. And then one more, Proverbs 23 and 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine and those who, try, who go to try mixed wine and then one more it's not on the screen but proverbs 25 28 a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls if you're jotting those down you might be able to go back and look at them later but some interesting thoughts from the writer of proverbs the wise man for us to consider being not hot tempered but being slow to anger showing again some type of restraint we see uh, self-control throughout the book of Proverbs, as we've mentioned already, even if we don't find the word per se, when we think about the Hebrew or the Greek used as many times, we certainly see the concept of restraint and of self-control. Paul in many times mentions it, uh, and especially in his letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians 4, 26 through 32, Ephesians 4, 26 through 32, you're familiar with this, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. He continues on down through there. But the idea that in our Christian walk and in our interaction with Christian brothers and sisters, and yes, even with the world, that we would show self-control. I would give to you, and we're going to get to a few application points as we go through the rest of the lesson here in just a moment. But... I would give to you that, that self-control is certainly against our earthly nature. 
You know, it's hard sometimes, whether it's uh, I like sports, but you're watching sports on TV and you see somebody, uh, a guy lash out maybe with a punch or something like even in a football game uh, because he's angry because something's been done to him or he's been, you know, uh, something's been done against the rules to him, hit late or something like that. And when he goes to lash out, you understand. We understand because in the moment when we've been hurt, we tend to lash out at people. Our earthly natural reaction is to not show restraint. It's kind of that gut instinct. But self-control calls us to go against that earthly nature and to think beyond the effect of our words and actions on others. To think beyond that moment. Now, I've said many times, and you'll hear me say it again, that the, the brain is a powerful thing. Our minds are, oftentimes we can calculate things very quickly, whether that's Again, in football, a throw down the field, the quarterback is very quickly calculating without even almost thinking. The idea of how far to throw it, how high, how hard, those kinds of things. We do the same thing in that moment where whether we raise the fist actually physically and go to take a swing or in our mind we're doing that, we're calculating very quickly, well, what's going to happen if I actually go through and say what I want to say or do what I want to do? And sometimes we have to decide very quickly, is it worth it? When it comes to self-control, we have to do our best to go against our natural inclination. It is something that is a much higher set of standard or rules, a higher standard of conduct that God has called us to. And so as we go further in the lesson here, we're going to make a little application to our lives through a few of the devotional points that come out of this uh, study that we have here on our one word self-control. If you've got your Bibles, you can be turning to 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. Again, just uh, to stir our thoughts here in the vein of sports, what if I told you tonight that I could offer you a coach, a coach for your team or your child's team? This coach has won three national championships. He's been successful in that realm. He's coached a, a USA basketball team to a gold medal. His teams are fundamentally sound. They're known for that. They play with excellence. They play with enthusiasm. And they were known for playing disciplined basketball. If I, for whatever reason, offered you that person, that coach, you would say, sign me up. Someone who has a championship pedigree, whose teams are known for being good and excelling on the court, would you take him? I think you would. What if I told you that that guy was Bobby Knight? All right. Now, hopefully many of you remember Bobby Knight. It wasn't that long ago that he was coaching three teams to NCAA national championships. It wasn't too long ago. I think it was 1984 that he coached an Olympic basketball team to a gold medal. I'm really dating myself today. The Nancy Kerrigan reference this morning and then Bobby Knight. And we got all kinds of these references here, you know. But, but you remember Bobby Knight. I will never forget. I played basketball as a kid. And I, and I, you know, don't remember when he did it, but I will never forget seeing on TV that image of the court or the chair scattering across the court as he threw it the one time there. Or more towards my time as I kept up with the news when he was accused of choking a player at practice. Bobby Knight was very good at having a disciplined team. But Bobby Knight was not very good at disciplining, disciplining himself. He'll be remembered as a great coach. He could teach his players the game of basketball, but as the title of this particular point says there, slinging chairs across the floor, having tirades during press conferences, throwing temper outbursts and temper tantrums to refs and, and other people around campus, 
it sort of took his greatness as a coach and really overshadowed it and made it where it was even hard to trust him and put him around young men and to coach them in basketball because he could effectively discipline everyone but himself. In 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12, we read about a man in a story that we know well. When we think about great heroes of the Bible, King David is right there. He's the boy warrior, the boy warrior who defeated Goliath. He's the humble servant who refused to exact revenge on Saul, who had tried to take his life. He's a mighty warrior and the great king of God's people, a man after God's own heart. But of course, he is also remembered for his lack of self-control. Now, as any great Bible person, man or woman, we don't find anybody who's perfect. David takes a beating, of course, because of his lapse in judgment, uh, while he did do many other great things. But you have to remember that with all the greatness that he did, he had this moment where he, where everyone else could be disciplined but him. David, as a king, could control the fate of the world in a sense. He controlled the fate of those around him. He could control the fate of others. But he was not able to control himself. And in that lapse of judgment, in that moment, his lack of control does great damage to his family, to his influence, and to others. Even those whose life he would have a part in being, uh, their life being taken from them, as he did with Uriah there. Everyone but myself. We're sometimes good at pointing out other people's problems. We're sometimes good even on the football field by saying, hey, that guy needs to do a better job of controlling his emotions. But oftentimes we don't think about how uh, we are good at controlling everyone else but ourselves. And tonight as we take this idea of self-control into our week and into our lives, may we remember that if we'll begin with ourselves, then yes, maybe we are able to help others. Secondly, tonight, I'd ask you the question, what's the greatest invention that you can think of? Of course, the one that everybody always gives as the cliche is it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, right? Uh, for some people, maybe it's electricity. Maybe it was uh, the chainsaw. We tried to cut down some trees in front of our house the other day or some limbs and the uh, chainsaw that was working would have been awful handy as opposed to having to do it uh, by hand. Maybe it's automobiles. Maybe it's antibiotics or the, the cure for cancer and things like that that we're still searching for, the greatest invention. The answer to this, this question may come on who you ask. Of course, whatever person that you ask in whatever time period that they might have lived in. But the author of this particular devotional says that maybe the greatest invention that we oftentimes take for granted is the remote control. Now, we have a few TVs around our house that I don't even think you can get them on sometimes unless you have the remote control anymore, right? You can't send the kid up to the TV to turn the dial like you used to have to do. All right? If you don't have the remote control, you're out of luck. And so remote controls sort of become uh, something that's very important. Think about it. We use it every day. If we lose it, we'll tear the house apart looking for it because it is convenient. And yes, as I said a moment ago, even sometimes necessary. So let's talk for a moment about self-control or remote control here, or the idea of the remote control. A remote control allows us to change channels, change volumes, mute the sound, turn the power on and off. In today's society, control the DVR, do many things like that. A very small device oftentimes hold, holds much sway over the household. Does the husband get it? Does the wife get it? The kids fight about it. Who is in charge of this little thing that sometimes controls our lives? 
And why is it that in a world where we can control so little, there is a power in being in control of something so small that is just, even if it is just a television. Now, there are many times in our lives, as we kind of take this idea somewhat even uh, in a humorous sense of the remote control, there are many times that we would love to be able to take a remote control to many different people. If you've got your Bible, look to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 16. We would love for the remote control to be able to change the volume on people, to be able to mute people, to be able to turn people on and off sometimes and be able to do many things with it. And it's a humorous thought. I even believe it's been turned into a movie or two before to think about a remote control that could do that type of thing. Uh, that we could change people's attitude, we could change their outlook, we could cause them to sleep or wake up on command. But what God has called us to control is not the weather or other people or even the television. He has called us to control ourselves. Notice in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 16. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Paul tells Timothy to pay attention. Pay attention to yourself and to the doctrine as well. Why? Well, it's important to note here, he gives us the answer. Why do we need to worry about ourselves first? Why do we need to show a little bit of self-control? He says, but in doing this, not only will we teach others how to be faithful, but if we don't live out our faith, we will not only damage others, but we will lose our own soul. Recently in our class here in Adult Classroom 1 on, on Sunday morning, we talked about evangelism a little bit. But it was interesting that the book we've been studying, the author went about talking about evangelism a little bit in the regards of the fruit of the Spirit. And we went through the different parts of the fruit of the Spirit there, the different aspects. And self-control was one of those. And so it's interesting to consider self-control in the context of evangelism or the way that we can take heed to ourselves and save both ourselves and those that hear us. How many people want to study the Bible with someone who doesn't show any self-control? How successful would I be at setting up a Bible study in the town of Saudi Daisy if I coach my children in baseball and I kick the dirt and scream at the umpire and throw things across the field and then after the game is over meet everybody in the parking lot and try to hand out flyers and ask people to have Bible study it's a silly example I understand that but when we lose our self-control that's essentially what we are doing we are not able to control others we don't have a remote control that we can control everything around us in our lives if we will take care of ourselves and be sure that we are living out our faith and take heed to ourselves and the doctrine then we have opportunities to evangelize to others. Christians should be living proof of the gospel's power to bring order to a daily life. When we think about our lives, people look at us and see that we're different. They look at us and see our lives are in some type of order, especially when we show forth self-control. It's then that the door is sometimes open, that the door is open in order to discuss things with people, to bring them to Christ. And so may we practice this in our everyday life. If we just teach others, but we don't live it out ourselves, we're going to have a problem. We often say it by walking the walk and talking the talk. Being able to do both. One more point here and the lesson will be yours. Let's think finally about self-control on a cross. 
I don't know if maybe uh, you were ever bullied in school. That word has taken on a little bit of a different context in our world today. Uh, people have sometimes often been picked on or you know, had trouble at school. And today it's a very serious thing, especially even as sometimes it involves kids who would be willing to take their own life because they're worried about this type of thing. But, but no one really likes a bully at all. Even if it's what seems to be in a harmless way or just seems to be something that's just sort of picking on somebody or whether it's really true, harsh, uh, bothering somebody as we oftentimes see uh, at school, in the workplace, and yes, even sometimes in the church building. But no one likes to, for someone to be bullied or to be bullied. Jesus in Matthew chapters 26 and 27 was disrespected. He was slapped. He was punched. He was mocked, he was lied about, he was humiliated, and of course, eventually murdered. How did Jesus handle it? Well, as I'm thankful to Brian for leading for us, he could have called 10,000 angels. And we picture in our mind how powerful that could have been. Not only could Jesus have maybe taken himself off the cross and just kind of disappeared, not only could he maybe just have taken himself off and just walked away, he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have called enough firepower. He could have called and, and brought down rain and destruction and fire upon everyone around and made a point and been able to say, look what I can do. I'm the son of God. You're nothing. But there was self-control on the cross. He could have hurt or killed everyone who hurt him. He could have exacted revenge in the most painful way, really considering how those people had mocked and hurt him. But the being, as part of the Godhead who spoke the world into existence, put the sun and the moon and the earth into place, who, could, who created life, could have stopped this at any moment. What kind of self-control is that? Self-control on a cross. And so we go to Galatians 5, 22 and 23, and Paul gives us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. And self-control is listed there. The blessing of a life of walking in the Spirit with God and His Spirit is that we can have self-control. We can practice that. That opens the door to evangelism. That allows our relationships to be stronger and allows God to be in us and us to follow after God. If Jesus could do it through even that type of terrible situation, then certainly we can practice self-control as well. We are to practice self-control and overcome the, overcome the short-lived temptation for the promise of eternal life. It's kind of what we began our class with this morning there at Adult Classroom 1. We're continuing in that book and some of these thoughts connect. And the idea of the question that we began with this morning was, is it worth it? Is the short-lived things that are in front of us worth it? Because when we partake in them, when we enter into sin, then we are not practicing self-control. Delayed gratification, waiting for something that is coming. Even if we don't know when it's coming, it is coming. A home in heaven. No more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow, and no more death. It's coming. The promise of eternal life. May we, tonight and through this week, and certainly through our lives practice self-control in the vein of Jesus, in the vein of the words of Paul, and the many places that we can read it on the pages of the Bible. It's tough. It's tough to deny ourselves. It's tough to re restrain ourselves. 
But we have to do it because God has told us that is a person who is acceptable to him. Tonight, we ask very simply as we conclude our lesson, have you been practicing self-control in your life? We're about to sing this song of encouragement in just a moment. The greatest way that we could say it, maybe. All to Jesus, I surrender. Are we willing to give up our natural inclination, our gut reaction to lash out at others or to be angry or to be mean or to do whatever it is in revenge as opposed to exercising self-control? Are you willing to surrender your life to Jesus tonight? Maybe you need to do that by becoming a child of God so that he can add you to his church. We'll be singing to encourage you that you would truly surrender all. Give your life to him and you can have that promise of eternal life that is coming. Maybe tonight you've done that, but the world weighs on us. It's easy to go home and use that remote control to turn on the TV or to watch things that cause us to think that, that this life is worth it. That the short-term nature of sin is worth it. And we put off heaven because we do not have any self-control. Maybe there's a problem of sin in your life and you stand in need of forgiveness. We'll be singing to encourage you as well. Whether you need to become a Christian or come back to him, you can come forward now as we stand together and as we sing.